What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Thoughts by the Ville DI. What you doing Wednesday, where we talk to extraordinary and interesting people. Now, if y'all know, I've been on my kick right now of interviewing authors and directors and so on and so forth. And today I have author Ted Cummings with me. And we're going to talk about one of his projects and just some other things that may come up during the conversation. Now, Ted, how you doing today? Deville, I'm I'm excellent, brother. It's been a good day. It's it's been beautiful here in in sunny Cincinnati, Ohio, man. It's it's been a good day. Okay, doing great. Nice. So, um, yeah, we got a pretty good uh had some pretty good weather down here in Georgia today. Even though we can't really get out and enjoy it, um, I've been taking advantage of this park around the corner from my house. It's got a mm-hmm. lake, and I get out there and get me about a mile in around that lake. So, yep. that's pretty much the extent of enjoying the, enjoying the weather besides sitting out on the porch, you know? Right. Yeah, I know all about that, man. I think I smoked a cigar on my porch a week ago, and it was just very relaxing and enjoyable. Yes, yeah, so I hear you on that. Yes, sir. So before we get into your work, uh, let's, i like to get to know you a little bit. So, Ted, uh, tell us a little bit about where you're from. Sure. Yeah, man. So I'm, I'm from the East Coast originally. Um, I grew up um, in, in and around D.C. I'd say for the first half of my childhood, I was in PG County and, and MoCo, Montgomery County. And I spent, you know, all of my high school years and all of my college years uh, in D.C. And, you know, I went to Howard University. Uh, Go Bison. Okay. And gra- yeah, yeah, graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering and, and you know, just went off immediately after college um, to, a, you know, a couple of major corporations and did the engineering thing. And, and eventually I went to law school at night, uh, became an attorney, and uh, I'm a practicing patent and trademark attorney. I do that every day, nice. Monday through Friday. Yeah, yeah, sometimes on the weekends. And, and apparently, uh, DeVille, I've, I've become, you know, also a, a writer of fiction, what I call black science fiction. Mm-hmm. So growing up in, in D.C., what, what, what was life like for you in D.C.? You know what, man? It was, it, was, um, it was really, really, really good and really, really, really bad, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because the, the good aspects were that, you know, D.C., you know, very similar to Atlanta, has just, man, an overabundance of really well-educated Black people mm-hmm. and professional Black folk and, and, and sort of the neighborhoods that I grew, grew up in, for the most part, showcase that for me and you know my mother you know was a professional she was a a college professor at howard and of course her peer group were similar to her so i so i grew up looking at these amazing you know uh, black people just just in the community doing it and so that was very much a a north star for me right Mm -hmm. Um, but it was also really bad right because you know i I grew up in dc in in the 70s and the 80s and washington could be very very violent Right. And, you yeah. know, when, 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 yeah, right. Right. So when crack hit the streets around 84, 85, you know, the city sort of exploded from a violence perspective. And, and now, now I was never a part of any, any, any of that or any of the drugs and so forth, but it was definitely going on around me, man. And it was, it was actually a bit of a scary time, um, you know, cause there, there were a lot of deaths happening in it, you know, in and around the city and DC is not, you know, special in that regard, probably all the major cities, uh, a lot of this was happening, um, but it was, you know, there, there was a sense of danger, um, I would say, you know, growing up. And, and you know, and I'll, I'll tell you how I decided to deal with that at a practical level. Mm-hmm. You know, D.C. has a very strong um, culture and, and I was part of it to an extent. Um, but as, as these things go, you know, I recognized early that certain people who were, you know, who were in that life, you know, they just looked a certain way. They dressed a certain way. They, there were just certain accoutrements related to the things they wore and how they looked. And I said, okay. So if, if that 
if, if that's the uniform for the life, I'm gonna go the other way, mm-hmm. right? So I was prepped out, bro. I was I was khakis, polos, penny loafers, the book bag, the whole thing, right? You know, to to sort of communicate to the rest of DC that you know y'all are over here, but I'm over here, yeah, right. And at least once or twice, that saved my life. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, my stepmother well, used to be my stepmother. Her and my father not together anymore. She used to always. When that's when I was living up in Herndon, Virginia, outside of DC, um, she's always hit me with that. You know, you, you're gonna act how you dress, and people are gonna view you how you dress. And this was in the '90s, so I was just a, a young, you know, hip hop kid who, to me, I was dressing, you know, hip hop fashion. I had coming from the south, you know, I had my dress, I had my gold teeth. I'm like, this is just how we do it, you know. But like you said, though, there was a certain perception that came along with the way that I dressed and and people just assume would assume that I act a certain way. Now nine times out of ten, I will say, if a guy has on a police uniform, he's probably a police officer. You know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I completely get what you're saying. It's like, okay, I'm gonna separate myself from that. And when I see that, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'll separate myself from it. So, but yeah, that just touched me when you said that because you know she used to always tell me that she used to always drill that into my head. It's like how are you gonna how you dress is how you how are you gonna act, and um, so yeah, they um, DC kind of reminded me of Atlanta when I first went uh, went up there because you know we're in Virginia, so whenever we went, I was like nineteen. The first time I went, I was a sophomore in high school. When I went back. I was like 19. So when we want to do things, we go on to DC and it reminded me a lot of Atlanta because it's like how, you know, a couple blocks in the wrong direction. And now you're somewhere right. where you don't want to be at, you know? Right. Right. So yeah. Right. Now, right. And that's not really the case anymore, honestly, is man, it? for DC. Yeah. It's, it's, it's become so gentrified that almost all the blocks in Northwest are safe. A bunch of the blocks, most of the blocks in Northeast are safe. Almost all the blocks in Southwest are safe. Um, now, now you can you can still catch a, a problem in Southeast, right? But you know the, the the gentrification monster man is pushing out there as well. Um, but it's a it's a like so so for example, man. I mean, DC for me, brother, was so black growing up that you know, I I man, I I really. I really didn't deal with or really see white people that much. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just, I just didn't. And, and then recently <clears throat> I was in my mother's neighborhood. She lives in a, in a neighborhood in Northeast, uh, which is close to Catholic university. And I was walking up the block to a spot to go grab some lunch. And you know, this white woman, man, she couldn't have been more than 27, 28 years old. She's pushing a stroller. And, and we're walking on one of these huge, these really wide city blocks. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you could fit 10 people shoulder to shoulder on that bad boy and walk down the block together. Yeah. So we're walking in the same direction on this block. I'm at least six, seven, eight feet away from her. And she does the scared white woman thing of here comes his brother. And we're walking, we're walking, um, we're walking in the same direction. We're walking in the same direction. And then, and she gives me this look and this clearly fearful, it, and, I, and I, got, I, I got offended, but not because I'm offended that a white woman is like doing this to me, right? Because that's pretty much par for the course. Mm. I got offended because it happened to me in D.C. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I got offended. I was like, are you kidding? This is my city. Yeah, you in my city. Yeah, right. And frankly, that had never happened to me before in, in D.C., mm-hmm. right? And so, but, but that was like, oh, y'all are here so, so thick that, you know, I, I'm having to deal with y'all's psychosis as it relates to, you know, my people and black men in particular. Okay. Wow. DC really has changed. And so that was an interesting experience. Yeah. It's a lot of that going on in Atlanta um, that I recognize, even though I don't live in Atlanta, like all of the. <laughs> all of the song, the 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 streets and neighborhoods that you hear about in these songs from mm-hmm. the early two thousand the nineties, they're pretty much not there anymore. I mean, they're there. Well, they're not called like Bankhead. I forget what it's called. Bankhead isn't Bankhead anymore. But you still, 
what the people who are moving in don't realize is you still have some of those bankhead people <laughs> on bankhead like they changed the name of the street but they could didn't change a lot of the atmosphere on bankhead so then you know they after that after they move in then they start uh you know crying about the the crime rate and this and that and this and that's like yeah. that's that's where you moved did you not know where you was moving like that's they, they, they knew you know and 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 frank because here's the thing a you know they asked the question b you know they did the internet review right and and right they, they did the review and see if any of them asked their real estate agent and they did you know their real estate agent is ethically required to tell them the truth mm-hmm. so they knew right but you know you it's it's one thing to to know something empirically right at a mind level but it's another you know to know think to know something experientially yes. and so what they're doing is they're experiencing you know elements of the hood or what i call being hood adjacent mm-hmm. right now you know, i have i have i have personally either lived in the hood or been hood adjacent my entire life right my entire life so you know when i when i hear gunshots or or you know or something that sounds like a gunshot frankly it sounds like it's you know several blocks away it doesn't even it doesn't move me at all because that's just you know that's been my experience you know but it, it's funny to read you know people say did you hear those gunshots last night yet chad i heard it you're fine oh yeah <laughs> I, get, I get that on my ring app i have the uh, the, the yeah. ring for the door and the, yep. yeah so you know about the the community part where yeah exactly people, um at least every night did you that just sound like there were two gunshots and they sounded really close but right. there's a freaking police firing range <laughs> around the corner you know not directly around the corner but close enough where you can hear the gunshots from the range right and, you know people act like you still aren't used to hearing this they do that every day and you know the the odd hours of the night where you might hear you still have to realize there's a range over there that officers may be burning the midnight oil, you know, trying to get their grouping together, you know? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went and tried to get my grouping together yesterday. It, it was it was trash. <laughs> yeah, are you so so you went to a range? You're able to go to a range? Yes, the, because the the in Georgia, the gun stores are considered essential. Yeah, same same for Ohio. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. you know, if the gun store has a range and everybody, you know, everybody has to get in their own lane or whatnot, and they consider that social distancing since everybody has to stay one person in a lane anyway. Yeah, I'm gonna hold up, man. I I, I had a I had an experience, brother. Um, I was in Virginia a few months ago before all of this happened, um, and I was at my sister's house in Roanoke, and and I got to go, you know, shoot um, at an outdoor range. And, and I tell you, man, that, that's the most fun I think a human being can have. It is. You know, uh, that outdoor range is just a whole nother level of an experience. So I'm actually, I'm actually looking for an outdoor range around here that I can go to. Because that, that experience spo- spoiled me completely for the indoor experience. Oh, yeah. It'll make you not want to shoot inside anymore. Yeah. Yeah, it completely spoiled me, man. But um, so let's uh, turn it around a little bit. What uh, or how does a guy from D.C. get into science fiction? Oh, that's easy, man. Science fiction um, raised me as a child, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, I, I was, I was a, and I still am, man, but definitely then I was a super comic book head. Super okay. comic book head. Favorite right? comic book hero, right quick. Oh, bruh. Well, so it's evolved. Um, it's evolved. Uh, I fell in love with Wolverine, and this is '80s Wolverine, mm-hmm. right? When he was at his dopest, I fell in love with '80s Wolverine, you know, um, as a as a as a as a young, very 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 young man. Um, you know, I always had a sort of a soft spot for Spider Man, and I, and I liked how Spider Man evolved, sort of through the '80s and '90s. He got cooler to me, um, and and I, but I would say overall, my absolute favorite comic book hero. You know, like if I could beat his cat and do what he does, it's probably Iron Man. Nice. Probably Iron Man. Yeah. That, yeah. That's my favorite too, because in, you know, hypothetically, I could be Iron Man. 
Hmm. Iron Man and my bat and Batman are my top two because they're mm-hmm. just they're super smart. They're super rich. Those are their real superpowers. So mm-hmm. I could if if I if you know in the perfect world I could be one of these two guys. I'll never be Superman, but I could be Iron right. Batman. I used to like right. Wolverine too, but when I was growing up, uh, you know, I'm an '80s baby, so I grew up '80s, '90s, and they had that X Men show, and mm-hmm. Wolverine was just kind of soft on the cartoon. I loved him in the comics, but right. you know, the comics was kind of starting to become uh, harder to find around that time in the '90s, mm-hmm. you know. But we had the the cartoons start popping up everywhere, and I just didn't like the way they depicted him in, on the X Men show. <laughs> But, well, you know, they, they're, they're, they're giving you, you know, on the show, they're giving you, you know, four to 14 Wolverine. And that's not what he is in the comics, right? Yeah. You know, so, he's a much tougher individual. Yeah, definitely. So growing up, you were, all, you were always in the comics. And um, how did that Definitely in the comics. Well, definitely in the comics. And I, and I read a lot of fantasy. And, and, you know, strangely enough, I read a lot of Stephen King, mm-hmm. you know, because my mother loved him and, and. You know, I was the kind of, I mean, it was nothing for me at 13 to 14 years old, brother, to pick up a thousand page book and go to town on it and just be completely immersed in it, right? Um, so I, I'd say fantasy and science fiction have, have always been my go-to genres, right? As, as it relates to um, uh, my book, um, I, started, I started writing it first because... You know, I, I got, well, let me, let me actually step back and say that I, I was teaching at the time. So, but one, one of the things I didn't tell you I did was that I was a teacher for three years. Okay. And, and I, you know, I was at a, I was at a period, man, I was a little burned out with my legal career. I just needed a bit of a break. Um, and, and I got hired um, at a, at a um, inner city high school here in Cincinnati to teach computer science and robotics. And, you know, because of my engineering background, I was, you know, qualified to do that. And I, you know, I got the job and I did that, man. And I was teaching seventh graders and, you know, I, I went into that job with some false assumptions, right. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of based on, you know, all the negativity you hear. And, and, you know, I went into the job thinking that, yeah, you know, it would be a good year if 50% of the kids, you know, learned what it is I'm trying to teach and responded to me. Right. Well, as it turned out, it was something like 97% of the kids that I taught. And I, and I you know, my, every seventh grade class I had was 100 plus kids, you know, learned what it was I was trying to teach them and responded to me, right? And, you know, and so I was like, man, these kids are freaking amazing. And this was an inner city sort of middle school and high school combo. Mm-hmm. And, and these kids, many of them were coming from, not all of them, but many of them were coming from very dire circumstances very very dire um you know but 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 all the kids you know almost all of them were really into the subject matter and really wanted to learn and so it changed my perception around you know who these mostly almost all black kids you know were and are and what they come from and what they're capable of right and that got me to thinking right because you know and my thought process because i'm also a bit of a student of history my thought process was like, like this, gee, as amazing as these kids are with everything they have to deal with, what would they be like if they didn't have to deal with, you know, systemic racism? Yeah. What would they be like? What would their lives be like if they didn't have to deal with the incredible economic disadvantages that almost every single one of them has to deal with? And, I, you know, so I was asking them these existential questions, and that got me thinking even more broadly around, okay, what would it look like for black people as a whole if, for example, you know, slavery had been cut off um, right after the, the Civil War, excuse me, excuse me, right off right after the Revolutionary War? And what would our lives look like if Jim Crow had never happened? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, and what would what would our lives look like if for, I don't know, the last 150 or 200 years, we as a people had had access to you know, the, the, all of the promise that is America. Like we get access to some of the promise, right? But we don't get access to all of the promise. We, we just don't, right? Um, you know, the, the current healthcare disparity as brought on by the coronavirus is, is testament to that. Um, we are, we represent 13, 14% of the country, but 50% of the coronavirus deaths, and that's a healthcare disparity, 
right? And that's something that that would, it has been intentionally created to exist. What if some? What if that didn't exist, right? Yeah. And so, as I was asking these, these questions, Deville, six years ago, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was asking these questions six years ago, a story began to sort of form in my mind, right? Um, and because I am so science fiction inclined, it it you know the answers to the questions came to me in a very science fiction sort of way, right? So you know, and so the answer, of course, is well, we remove systemic racism. All right, that's great. Well, how do we do that? Well, you know, we got to get rid of at least for a little while, you know, the engine of systemic racism in America, right? And you know, unfortunately, the engine of systemic uh, racism in America, you know, is based and housed in people that do not look like you or me, right? For the most part. Okay. And so, and so, so now we're getting into the story. So, so as I got the idea, I began to write a bit of the story down. Now, let me be very clear. I was not a writer of fiction at the time that I started writing the story. I, I just wasn't. Um, now I'm highly proficient at technical writing. Uh, because, you know, I am a patent attorney. And that's what I do. I write patents all day, every day. Right. So I know how to do that. Um, but over the course of the six years, I had to become a writer of fiction. Um, so that's that's what I did. So I started writing the story down. I probably, man, you know, I probably have done five or six different rewrites, mm -hmm. at least, you know, added and subtracted and changed characters and, and all of that. Um, you know, and we published on um i believe it was sunday february 2nd of this year uh right before um the coronavirus had sort of entered the collective american consciousness and when people began to read my book they were like ted you know you did you did you prophesy this thing hmm. and, I was, and i was like yeah yeah i don't think so you know but there definitely are some parallels definitely are yeah i thought about that when i was reading over what you sent me and I was like, whoa, this is kind of relevant to what's going on right now. Yeah, it's really interesting, man. So, I mean, you know, dealing with the coronavirus, you know, major disadvantages, you know, um, for black people dealing with this, right? Dealing with the sleepers virus, which is the virus that afflicts two thirds of the population, major, advantage, major advantages for black and brown people and Asians as well. Um, you know, so, and, and that's, that's book one, that's book one. Um, I'm in the midst of writing book two. So book one is called slumber book two. The working title is awakening. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm in the midst of writing it and, and that will be ready for, it'll be published in uh, 2021. So next year. Right. And it's, it's interesting, man, because I'll, I'll tell you what my book is and what it's not, what the series is, and what it's not. This is not a get rid of white people series or book. It's, mm. it's, it's really not that. And, and frankly, if it were that, you know, I could handle that in one book. I could, I, could, I could have done that just in one book, in slumber. You know, all the white people go to sleep or they die at the end, right? But, but that's not what it is. It, it really is, you know, a, a search for an answer to a question or a series of questions. And, you know, one, one of which is, you know, what would it look like if the dominant ethnicity in this country were no longer dominant and no longer the center of the American story? What would that look like? And then, and if that dominant current group is no longer the center of the story, what does that mean for the rest of us? And how do we manage that? That's some deep stuff right there. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, brother. Yeah, thank you. So the slumber is the first of the series. Yes. And um, were you about to say something? No, no, I'm with you. Go ahead. So basically, uh, give you you kind of did, but give us more of a, like a, a a a little intro to what's going in, what's what's going on during the slumber. We know that the that there's a outbreak of some sort. yeah there's a there's a yeah there's a mutated viral outbreak. it's a virus um that that it that that infects everybody in the country right mm -hmm. um is it just uh, a country or is this a worldwide thing 
Yeah, good question. So no, it's the continental United States, okay. right? And as it turns out, the release of the virus is orchestrated. Yeah, it's 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 orchestrated, um, you know, by 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 a person, and you know, and so the 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 virus attacks this, and it's called the sleepers virus. The sleepers virus attacks the metabolic processes um, of of a human, of the brain, and and the, the body functions, and the virus works to slow those uh, metabolic processes down. Now, you know, if, if, if one is attacked with the virus and the virus, you know, and, you, and the person does not have um, what's called a you know, sufficient amount of melanin, enough melanin uh, in their body or the ability to produce melanin, um, the virus, the sleeper's virus, will uh, shut down the meta- metabolic processes of the individual, of the host, to such an extent um, that he or she will, you know, fall into, you know, what, what seems to be an irreversible sleep. So they're not dead. They're just essentially knocked out. Right. Now, of course, if you have enough melanin in your body and, and or you have the ability to produce melanin on demand, uh, the melanin molecule acts um, as a lock against uh, the sleeper's virus and essentially binds it up, um, preventing the virus from, you know, making people fall asleep making one fall asleep. Yeah. And people I've been, he said, he sent me some pages, right. And I was at work when I got them and I started reading it and I was like, okay, I got to stop because (laughs) I got to do, I got to do some work. This camera sitting over me while I'm sitting at my desk. I got to do some work. I can't sit here and read all of this, but from what I've read, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a good one. And I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm not going to, because I don't want to give any, uh, uh, what are they called, spoilers. I'm not going to give y'all right. guys any spoilers, but this is a good one. Now. Thank you. With the, with the uh, no problem. With the book stemming from that question of what would it be like if, you know, the, uh, the dominant society was no longer dominant? which if I'm following you along correctly stem from you starting to question, you know, what would those kids be able to do if they were Mm -hmm. under different circumstances? Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. How did your, how did it affect your, how did your thinking or or your life change or did it affect you once you start to ask yourself that question? Um, Here's how my life changed. Um, the story would not leave me alone. Um, I just want to reiterate that I was not a writer of fiction before all of this started, bro. But over the course of six years, I became one. But, but let me tell you, man, it was, it was not a smooth six. Um, I walked away from this story at least half a dozen times, mm-hmm. you know, and, and these were long periods of inactivity you know, four months, you know, six months, a year, you know, but I kept being brought back to the story. And, and, you know, and every time I wrote and, and, you know, and I got feedback, I got better. Right. Um, you know, but it, it was a trip, man. It was like the story begged to be written, you know, and, and I had amazing, you know, amazing bouts of, of, um, um, of uh, not having confidence, like I, I was not confident in myself at all. Mm. Um, and and by nature, I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a. You know, I'm a confident person by nature, right? But by, 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 by nature, I'm a confident person. You know, so. You know, so that was strange for me too, right? And I had, but so I had, I had to battle through sort of that, you know, because I'd never written fiction before. Um, you know, and then, you know, until, until we finally got to the, the big major push, finished it out, got it edited, and we were able to publish, you know, and I'll tell you that, and this is what I've said about the story, you know, I've always thought that the story is really good. I've always thought that the story was fantastic, right? The story. And I've also always thought that, you know, the story is, 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 is only limited by the proficiency of the writer, right? Um, and so I really wanted to make sure that I honored the story itself, 
uh, and I, you know, Deville and I, and I only published Man because I thought, and I think that my writing was finally good enough um, not to take away from the power of the story itself. Mm. No, that's that's the first I've heard that from an author, and I think that's awesome because that means to me that means you not perfected not gonna say perfected but you made sure that you were giving out a quality yeah product and versus just slapping the story together and throwing it out there yeah i definitely tried to to bring something you know to and for the people man because for me man the, the the story is a love letter for me right this is me writing a love letter you know, to, to African derived people in America, mm-hmm. right? Th- this is, this is, this is my opus to us. And, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, you know, it was very, very important to me not to come with no trash. Right. And, you know, and, and to bring something that not only I could be proud of, but that could be um, um, an important addition to our collective legacy right um now i and i don't want to overstate overstate it right but 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 one of my literary heroes is is jk rowling mm-hmm. right you know the author of the harry potter series and of course i read all of that and ate, ate that up um but she's a hero of mine man because you know she created literature you know she she was able to capture this incredible story you know, through literature. Um, and, you know, and that, that story will live forever because of, of what she, how she was able to write about it. And, and that's, and that's, that's frankly, that's the kind of writer that I want to be. Right. Nice. I can dig it. Now, how, what has been, because something that you said earlier, where you said that, you know, this wasn't a, you know, kill off all white people type of book. So <laughs> it made me wonder what type of responses have you maybe been getting from um, white people from your book? Has it been like, is that how they took it? Like you want to get rid of all white people or like, what was it, has the responses been like? So, so the book has only been out, I guess, what, two and a half months now, right? Maybe two months and three weeks. Um, and it, and, and it has not yet penetrated the zeitgeist yet of of folk of just in general i've got you know i've got you know several hundred sales of the book mm-hmm. um but i'm anticipating that when we get to a few thousand you know there's going to be some of this whoa you know um ted made the white people sort of go away right and i'm, I'm anticipating that there's going to be some negativity you know from that as well right um, and, and then frankly, you know, my pushback to that is going to be, you know, again, you know, I didn't kill anybody <laughs> yeah. in, in literature, A, and then B, you know, really all I did was to remove you from being, and people that look like you, remove you from being the center of the story, of, of our shared American story, Right what is your issue with being removed from being the center? How does that make you feel? Right. I know how it feels not to be the center. I know all too well, 50 exactly. years on this planet, what it means to right. You do, you do too. How, you know, we are not the center of this story. We know exactly what that's like. What's your problem with that? Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, if, if you think about it, it's stuff like like when I watch a lot of movies, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when you watch movies about like the future, right? Oh there'll be gosh, no black yeah. people in the movie. Oh my gosh! There'll be no black people, or there'll be one or two, and they're a couple. So you might get three if they had a kid, but the whole rest of the population, you know, there's no black people around. It's like, well, what the hell happened to all the black people? Yeah, here's what they're saying. They're saying, brother. You didn't make it. <laughs> you and yours, y'all didn't make it to the future. I think so. And then, you know, yeah. there is that crowd of people out there that always says, 
if you guys want superheroes and if you guys want stories about right. black people, then make your own. Make your own. So I commend you for making your own. I appreciate that. And and that's and that's what it is. Now here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Man, we got a ton of black authors out there. We do. Um, yeah, a ton, a ton. But you know, the black science fiction genre is really small. It's really small. Like like I know maybe a couple, two, three of them cats, right? And I'm and yeah. I'm happy to name myself among them as well now, right? Um you know, so 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 that's a genre I think that is that is ripe for um, addition and, and ripe for you know more skilled people to write and tell their stories, and that's important because you know a, a lot of visual stories come from science fiction, mm-hmm. right? And, and as you know, I'm like you, but I, I, I watch a lot of stuff. There's a whole lot of bad science fiction on TV right now. There it's is. awful, just awful, right? And and there's a whole lot of really unoriginal science fiction that's on TV, right? You know, one thing I know about my story, a couple of things I know about my story. Number one is definitely it's hella original. It's very original, right? And, you know, and I've, I've never seen or heard anything like, you know, quite like this. Another thing I know, frankly, is that it's, it's built for, for visual representation, right? Um, and when you really get into the reading of it, you'll see this, like I wrote the story, I wrote the book to be shown. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's I, I really, you know, with the story, I want I want the story to be broadcast around across different sorts of media, especially visual media. And, and that's important because this story will show, um, you know, in specificity, you know, how incredible and how talented the black and brown and Asian communities of this country are. Right. And it will show what we can contribute and produce and how we problem solve and all the stuff that frankly the people say that we can't do right they've said that you know you know they've said that um you know so you know my my goal is to you know have the story shown visually um you know and you know and i tell you man two years ago um i could have actually published the book two years ago mm-hmm. um <clears throat> i'm super glad i didn't for for a couple of reasons one is that I realized that I needed to to add, I needed to beef, I needed, you know, I needed to beef up a couple of characters. And so I added more story to it as it related to two of my characters, uh, Donnie Hernandez and Sabrina Clayton. Um, but the second is um, I was sitting in a dark movie theater and you know, getting ready to watch a little movie that you may have heard of uh, called Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Right. And and when I saw Black Panther, you know, of course I grew up reading the Black Panther comic book. So I understood what the subject matter was. I understood what Wakanda was and all of that. But brother, when I saw it visually, right, man, it, it, it changed something in me. And it, and it, and it, and it, it clarified for me what my story is. And I said, oh, that's what I've been trying to do. And that's how in my mind's eye, I've been seeing it. And it wasn't that like I'm, you know, I'm trying to create Wakanda in America, you mm-hmm. know, um, although there will be some elements of that, no doubt, right? There definitely will be some elements of that. But it was that, I, that I'm trying to visually show um, uh, uh, Black excellence in a way that is not currently showable um, because of just how oppressive systemic racism is in this country. It still is that level of oppression, right? And, and frankly, when we have, when black excellence is demonstrated and is celebrated in this country, um, and I'm saying outside of the entertainment and outside of the sports realm, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a in spite of sort of thing. Well, so-and-so is successful. Absolutely, that's wonderful. You know, how much more successful would he or she be if, Systemic racism did not exist to the degree that it does exist currently. So that 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 success is really in spite of everything that's been done to him or her. Yeah. We're gonna celebrate him, but we also gonna recognize that you know there's some stuff that got left left out. Yeah, because people people like to throw at you. Um, well, that guy that guy turns out all right, you know. When when you do bring up things like systemic racism, they'll point at the one successful 
brother in the room was like, well, he made it. So, so what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. My pushback is that, that he's only successful to, to a certain degree, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, and he, and he or she will be much more successful, you know, without having to deal with the crap they had to deal with to get here. Definitely. Definitely. So what are, what are some things that you think um, we can do as a people to kind of combat or put ourselves in a better position against the uh, systemic racism that we face? Well, I don't want to give sort of a standard answer, you know, on this. Um, Deville, we're, 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 brother, we're, we're, we're in the midst of a war. Right? Like we're, we're, we're in a war. And the war is physical, the war is mental, and the war is spiritual. And we need to recognize that fact and conduct ourselves accordingly. You know, because when, when you're in a war and you know when you're in a war, mm -hmm. you know, you do things like prepare for warfare, right? You do things like get to know your enemy. Um, you do things like um, uh, creatively problem solve for countermeasures um, against the sort of attacks that you know are going to come at you or that, are, that, or that are coming at you. This is what you, you know, and basically you transform into a warrior because you know, hey, we're in a war. Um, and as a people, um, I don't know as a people that we will ever get there in terms of that level of mentality and awareness, mm -hmm. right? Individuals can get there. Small pods can get there. Certain crews can get there. Um, but as a people, I don't think we can get there because the other piece is that the war is not obvious, right? It, it, it's not. It's not in your face, kick-ass oppression every minute of every day. I mean, it is, bro, but it's subliminal, right? And, you know, and frankly, you know, it is very comfortable in this country. It can be, yes. right? If you do some of the things that you need to do to have a comfortable existence, you can get there, right? But here's what's true about comfort. Comfort is not victory, right? And comfort also is not freedom. It isn't freedom. So... You know, I, and I say this, you know, looking out the window of my very pretty house in my very pretty neighborhood with my, you know, late model, you know, German sedan that I love and adore um, with my comfortable life. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm very much as much a part of it as anybody else is. But, you know, I needed to answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a good answer. And Definitely like the way that you expounded on your comfortable lifestyle because a lot of people tend to forget was because they're comfortable, because they're doing well in life. They tend to forget or tend to put it up in the cabinet and shut the door on it. You know, we're not going to deal with that because I'm good. You know, it's, 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 it's easy to separate yourself from it when you've gained a certain level of success. It's like, uh, what are you guys complaining about? You know? And then that's when that guy, instead of the one guy pointing the finger at the other guy saying, well, he did it, that that guy saying a lot of times is saying, well, I did it. So what are you guys, you know, what, what were you guys doing when I was doing this? But they don't, they, they lose sight of and, and don't want to acknowledge anymore the things that that person, you know, that person may have, you may have skated through because of the privileges that you had yourself. And that guy down the street didn't necessarily have the same privileges that you had. You're on the same street, but he just, you know, your life was just a little bit different. It gave you a little bit more advantage to take advantage of, uh, of life than that guy had. You have, you always have to, I don't like to, when people lose track of that, when people lose track of, of that, you know, 
we're all in this together. No matter how rich or successful you become, you know, there's still, we all know deep down inside, we all know that there were still certain things, hurdles that jumped in your way. Even though you got to that level, there still was hurdles that was placed in your way because of your skin color. We, we know that, and, you know, people tend to forget that their self when they get to a certain level, I feel like. Well, and I know exactly that behavior you're talking about. And, and I got to be honest with you, man, I, I don't understand those cats, right? Um, you know, I, I am what you would, you know, call just sort of empirically a successful person. Um, you know, but a couple of things, man. One, the success has cost me something. And, and two, I'm pretty consistently reminded in one way or another by this country, um, by people in this country, that, I, you know, I'm a black man in America, right? And, and these aren't nice reminders, brother. These are, you know, go somewhere and sit down, Ted you know, um, types of reminders, right? Which of course I resist and re 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 you know, rebuke and rebut and all of that. But I get reminded from time to time. And so, you know, whether I've got $1 in my account or 10 million in my account, you know, I'm still subject to, you know, that kind of negativity. And it's, it's those things, I mean, I'm proud to be who I am, don't get me wrong, um, but, but, the, but frankly, that racism also grounds me in a reality that yeah, we are all in this together. And the bank account don't mean squat, you know, when you get pulled over by a racist cop, um, you know, when you, when you have to deal with, you know, unjustified rejections of things that, that you should have and you've got the credit for and whatever else, mm -hmm. um, you know, but that's, that, is our, that is our collective reality. And I, I, for me, it's, 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 I've never forgotten that. I've been on this planet for half a century at this point. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's just right there for me. Now, a question that I always like to ask, I ask every guest this, mm -hmm. what would you do? What would you, what advice would you give a, a younger person? Doesn't necessarily have to be a kid. Doesn't necessarily have to be a young person, but it, what advice would you give to the next person about, what they should be doing or, or, or how they should be preparing themselves to move forward in whatever it is they're trying to do in life? That's an excellent question, man. I, I, I was a bit of, um, as a younger person in my twenties, man, especially late teens, I was a bit of a knucklehead. Right. And I don't mean that from a, from a bad perspective. I mean, I was an educated, ambitious, academically inclined kid, young man who thought he was the shit and nobody could tell him anything. And I was awful at taking good advice. Mm -hmm. So I was that kind of knucklehead, right? Um, <clears throat> and so I sort of look at all young people as I see myself, <laughs> as I saw myself, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of who I was. and. You know, and, and one of the things I knew, one of the lies that I believed, especially coming out of college, was that I should go and chase that, that corporate money, right? Go get you a good corporate job, Ted, and go make as much money as you can, and blah, blah, blah. And that was, that was sort of my value system at the time. If I could talk to 20-something me, if I could talk to the 20-somethings, especially who look like us in the country, I would say to them, say to them Whatever you do, don't chase money. Don't chase it, right? Because the truth about money is money will actually chase you for anything that you're good at, right? Anything that you're good at. And so, then the, and so if that's true, then the conversation drastically changes. It's, it really becomes, if you're going to chase anything as a young person, chase your passion. Right now, make sure that your passion can pay the bills, keep you fed and clothed and keep you alive. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and with that, chase your passion, chase it and hit the nail on that bad boy every day. And don't worry about time. Like the other thing, I, I remember this, man, I deal with this with my my middle kid who's, who's a 20 year old uh, young man. You know, you know, I'm able to sort of see the world through his eyes. Time means so much more to him than it does to me. 
in terms of quantity, right? So for him, you know, two years seems like a long time. Yeah. Right? And for me, you know, t- 10 years seems like a short time. <laughs> like, like I think in blocks of 10 years now, I'm at that point in life. But I remember, you know, I remember being where he was and like, man, I can't do this for eight months. I can't do this for 12 months, 24 months. That's absurd, right? Mm-hmm. And, but that's, that's the mentality of a very young person unless that person is taught something differently, right? So, you know, I'd say number one, chase your passion. And number two, spend all the time in that pursuit that you can. Don't worry about, like, like time is almost, it's almost an illusion almost is because if you're if you're 20 years old and you've got a talent for something and you've got passion for it and the truth is that it's going to take you 10 years to 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 really benefit experientially and economically from whatever that passion is guess what in 10 years you'll be 30 and you're still a really young person <laughs> right you're still yeah. really young and that's that is a mentality I absolutely did not have when I was in my twenties, right? Like, like, if, like, if, I mean, you, you always hear older people say, and it's very true. If I had the mind then that I have now, man, my choices would be different. My life would be different. You know, the outcomes would be dramatically different, dramatically yeah. so. Yeah, and I've heard um, or had a lot of successful people that I consider successful that I've spoken with in my personal life say that same thing that you said about money. Don't chase the money. And if, you know, if, if you work on perfecting what you do, you work at being, getting good at what you do, what you're passionate about, eventually the money will come and find you, you know, and, um, oh man, the time thing. I have a 12 year old. So she lives in California. Now I, I see her every six to eight weeks. She'll fly in because out there they have a break like every six to eight weeks. It's like two weeks off. So she'll fly here for two weeks and she'll go back. And, you know, one or two later she comes back. Then she comes for the summer. To her, to her that little gap in between might as well be 10 years. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's only a long time to you because you're sitting around and you're waiting on it to come. You're. It's like when you order something in the mail and you see that it said it'll take five to 10 weeks before it gets here, but you're checking your app every day to see the progress of it. And it's like, you know, they told you it'd be five to 10 weeks, right? You remember that, but you're still looking every day. So every day you're thinking about, uh, man, I'm ready to go back to Georgia. And then at uh, the same hand though, I tried, had to explain to her, you know, cause she's into, um, art. She draws, she paints, she does a lot of um, digital artwork and things like that. Mm. And I keep emphasizing to her to, you know, like you said earlier, to keep hitting that, hitting that nail on the head daily mm. because every day, while things might not, I, I'm, while at the same time, I'm telling you that this period of time is not a long time. You have to realize, like you just said, 10 years really isn't that long either. So. Mm-mm. Before you know it, it'll be time for you to go to college. Then after that, it'll be time for you to move out into the into the world and and start making adult decisions and and da, 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 da. So if you spend time now getting great at what it is that mm-hmm. you do, by the time when you're it's time for you to actually step out and say, "Hey, look, this is what I do." You'll be amazing at it. And you know, she takes in as much as a twelve year old takes in. I think maybe a little more, but we all, most of us tend to think our kids are, take, are exceptional in <laughs> things. But yeah, she's real good at art though, at this point. She's real good. And I remember her being four years old and, and scribbling on the pad and trying to draw a puppy. And I remember it in detail just because it was one of those moments. As a parent, you know you have those moments. And she's trying to draw this puppy and she can't get it how she wants. And she's like, man, I'm never going to be a good artist. And I was like, cause she's watching this YouTube tutorial that's telling you how to draw it. And, but she, and she's trying to follow it, but it's just not turning out the, the way the YouTube person is. And I told her then at like four years old, it was like this person that you're watching has been drawing 
for years. Right. You're four. You've just learned how to, <laughs> you're just learning how to draw a circle. This person's been drawing for years. It's like, give it some time. Just keep on going, keep on going. And she, she hasn't, since she started drawing, stopped. And now I'm looking at these little anime characters and stuff that she's making. I got them hanging on my refrigerator. And it's like, mm-hmm. and we look, we'll, we'll compare them. And she'll be like, man, because I get her journals for her to draw in. So we'll just go like flipping through the journals and looking at where you were last time you was here versus how your character look now. And it's only been six weeks. Like, look, look at the improvement you made because you draw every day. So yeah, man, that that definitely is a. If you're passionate about something, you got you can't just sit around and think about it. You know, you gotta. No, you gotta you gotta do something about it, man. And and you know, right now I'm I'm passionate about, you know, I'm passionate about this story, and I you know, I feel like the story has chosen me. I you know I it just so happens I get to be the one that writes about it. And I, I'm gonna tell you straight up, man. A moment it was a chastening moment. Um, as I was, as I was, I think I was in one of my breaks, right? Um, you know, and I had a chastening moment and, and I felt like, you know, God or the universe or whatever label people need to put on it. But I I felt like the divine said to me, look, if you don't finish this story, I will absolutely give it to someone else Mm. and they'll finish it and they'll benefit from it. And you know, that, that scared the hell out of me. Right. Because I was at that point, I was more than three quarters of the way through. I knew what I had in terms of the greatness again of the story, and I was like, "Okay, Ted, you know, get rid of your excuses and get done, right?" Yeah. And right, and that was just sort of one of those moments, man, for me. Yeah. So, would you like to see this um, eventually on a big screen or like a ser- like a TV series? That's a really good question, man. Um, Because I mean, you, you you could you could do multiple movies, right. or you know you could have a series that might run ten years. Right, right, right. So you know, I was a huge fan of the Game of Thrones. I say was because the writers of of the you know. They just completely they made the, the last season trash, man. Yeah, it got slow. I mean, they were, they were Yeah, it was a couple of two or three good episodes, man. But it was clear that they were rushing to get done and they were, you know, they were trying to get to another project. And instead of either making the season longer and really dealing with it or making it, you know, an additional season after that, they just trashed the final season. It was awful. I just for artistically, man, it was awful to see. And I, you know, as a fan, it just it hurt me. Um, <laughs> so, so I, I, I brought that up because I, I'd been thinking that this is sort of a Netflix kind of situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's multiple seasons, you know, um, you know, one season representing each book sort of, right? That's how I've been thinking about it. Um, it has also occurred to me that, yeah, it, it could be on a big screen, right? It could be multiple movies instead of just, um, it's not just, but it, you know, instead of sort of a small screen, sort of streaming service kind of series. Um, and, and frankly, man, I'm, I'm open to either possibility. Um, I, I just want, you know, I want the best director for best directors, the best writers, the best actors, the best people to, to visually portray the story. Right. Mm-hmm. And, Whichever format is the better way to do that, I'm open to that. Okay. Yep. Now, a little, little side question. Well, since we were talking about movies a little bit, how do you, and, the, and you're a, um, a movie guy, like I'm a movie guy, how do you think yep. the, the theater is going to recover or move, the movie industry is going to recover from the whole corona thing? You think we're yeah, going to go back question, to being man. in movie theaters or, because, you know, like now they're they're doing these, uh, straight to streaming premieres. You pay like twenty yep. bucks, and you can watch it for whatever. You can buy it early and things like that. You think we're gonna go back to the theater? Um, I think we're in a. I think we're in a holding pattern. I think we're in a wait and see. Right. We have some governors who are acting very foolishly, 
trying to open up their states or have opened up their states. I think it's going to get a bunch of people killed, man. Um, you know, who, who otherwise would not die. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, because of the actions of some of these rash governors and states, um, I think it's going to throw us into a deeper hole with respect to what happens with this virus. Right. Um, and I, I, for one, am not going to get lulled into a false sense of security uh, that this thing is, you know, is, is going to be over, um, you know, or and or won't come back. I mean, I was listening to, for example, you know, a noted expert, scientific expert this morning who straight up said, yeah, there's going to be at least two, maybe three more waves of this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, we're talking about a killer. Corona is a killer. Um, and it kills quick, too. That's the other thing. Um, you know, I've got a dear friend whose wife, you know, spent four weeks in the ICU. Um, and thankfully, you know, she's she's alive and she she overcame it and she came through it, you know. And, and frankly, she's alive and she came through in large part because she's a wealthy person mm-hmm. and she had the best medical care that money can buy. Um, and, you know, so, and she had around the clock, you know, uh, excellent care right and with this you know not everybody gets that or many people don't get that especially people of color especially black people um you know to the extent that we can't even get the test or we're turned down from getting the test even after we you know some of us have shown the symptoms of coronavirus so i say all that to say man i I, you know from a society perspective man we're, we're we're not through the woods yet at all um you know, and, um, you know, the best experts are telling us that we should maintain social distancing, you know, for many more months, you know, not weeks, not, you know, it, here comes May and we're good. No, it's like, you know, through the summer, through the fall, you know, and then we'll see where we are. And that's, that's pretty much where I am, bro. Yeah. There's, and there's a lot of people at the mindset of, if the if the governor says we can go out, I'm going out. Like I even I even like I said, I went to the to the gun range Sunday, and part of me was like, "This is stupid," and the other part of me was like, "I'm going, I'm going, I got to get out of this house." So I teeter the fence. I get it, but I don't get it. I know we shouldn't be out there, and I know that way more people be out, like things like haircuts get your nails done, stuff like that, that people are just so anxious to do. And as soon as they say, you know, we're open, they're going to run out there and it's going to be, you know, uh, um, possibly, you know, just horrible. That second wave that that hit, that they keep, like down here in Georgia, they keep telling us that there's going to be, we haven't peaked yet. They keep saying that we haven't peaked yet. We can't have not peaked yet, but then, you have certain people saying uh, on the news that, you know, yeah, we're declining, but then you have the science society and the medical society saying, you know, we well, don't think we peaked yet. So it's like, you know, uh, um, like you said, man, we're in that wait and see bubble. Like how long, do, how long are we going to, is this going to be the new normal right now? This is, it's becoming the new normal because I'm getting real used to wearing the mask every day and, washing my hands all the time and not shaking hands. And it was weird, like the first week, but now it's just like, you know, what they say after 21 days, things, something becomes a habit. Yeah, I'm, I, brother, I'm, I'm cool with it. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a red-blooded American in the great state of Ohio. I got my gun safe in the basement, you know, click clack. It's going to be what it's going to be, you know type of mentality and and you know and i and i i see as my primary responsibility man I, you know i've, I've got to number one take care of my family i gotta protect my family man and you know so that's that's where i'm focused um you know my 16 year old daughter is mad at me every other day behind me telling her know about something you know related to you know seeing somebody or going somewhere I'm like yes we we're just we're just not there yet sorry yeah um and you know and that's just that's just what it is now on the flip side of that like we're having you know amazing family time and and you know my wife and i you know know, are are doing great you know and having having the ability to just sort of you know talk and have have real 
relationship and 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 it's so so it's you know it's it's you know six in one hand half dozen in the other man yeah because i and i think that a lot of people well a lot of people are thinking about it is uh if you look at what what, what they're calling essential employees now mm-hmm. if i go to i think a lot of people's mindset is if i have to go to work at this grocery store all day, every day, and be around all these people, then I'm going to the cookout too, because, you know, I can come out, so I can, I, I'm going out in it to work anyway. So why would I not do anything else when I've probably been more likely to have been exposed to it at my job than I will going to my cousin's house? But it's a dangerous, it's like we're playing roulette right now with our lives. Every time, it is, man. Every time Brother, you, it, it, even when you, it, when you take the risk of it's a risk going to uh, Zaxby's or or, or you right. know, grab some food right the grocery now. store. Yeah, because <laughs> that guy checking you out might have it. You know, the guy who stocked the shelf might have had it and coughed all on all this crap. You know. Yeah, I think the safest thing to do, brother, is uh, as everywhere you are, assume the worst and then conduct yourself accordingly. Right. So have your mask, your gloves. I, I look like a paramilitary stormtrooper when I walk into most places now, man. Yeah. Like you know, a, and I'm I'm good with it. You know, people don't even look at me twice now, bro. Yeah, you know, like they say with with gun safety, always consider the gun loaded. You know, oh yeah, always fit, just act like everybody has it. But um, so I'm not gonna hold you up all night, man. It's been great talking to you though. But tell the people Likewise, where they bro. can where they can get your book, uh, Slumber. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. So my name is Ted Cummings, T E D C U M M I N G S. Uh, the name of my book is Slumber, S-L-U-M-B-E-R, Slumber. It's book one of the Sleepers book series. Um, it is on Amazon. You can get it in digital format, and you can get it in paperback. Uh, and hopefully, man, in the next two to three weeks, I will have uh, the book in audio format too, man. I got the mic. I've got the computer coming. I'm going to record it and make sure that's available as well um, for, for, for audio books. Uh, you can also buy my book at my website. My website is HTTP, uh, or let me just say it, www.sleepersbooks.com. That's www.sleepersbooks.com, S-L-E-E-P-E-R-S-B-O-O-K-S.com. Now, if you you buy and order the book from sleepersbooks.com, you'll get a signed uh, author uh, autograph copy of it, Uh, and I will send that to you myself. Okay. You plan on doing any type of like virtual meets, meet and greets or anything like that in the future? Or Yeah, yeah, the- man. Absolutely. In fact, I'm, I tell you, I really, really want to get down with some book clubs, right? And I've got a couple of book clubs lined up for that. And I'm doing exactly that. Um, I will be uh, uh, calling in, I guess, on a Zoom call, whatever it is they use. And, and we're going to have discussions with the author uh, for their book clubs. Yep. All right. So... Once again, people, Ted Cummings, Slumber, check it out, grab it. It's an interesting read. Um, I'm going to pick it up myself. I'm going to pick it up because that, you know, what did you send me, like 30-something pages? It's no no way I can. Yeah, I sent you, I think, I sent you the prologue. I believe chapter one and chapter two, maybe chapter three, but at least chapter one and chapter two. It's no way I can read all that and just stop. (laughs) <laughs> there's no way i'm gonna read all that just now i'm gonna have to get it man well once again thank you for coming on the show i had a great time talking to you hey man i appreciate you making time and space for me as well thank you so much always you're welcome back anytime and to the listeners thank y'all for tuning in to thoughts about the Ville. di i love and appreciate all of you because as i always tell you if it weren't for you guys i'd just be talking to myself and we out of here y'all have a great day <laughs>